a super important podcast about hair. Question mark. Featuring Ryan Teal and Stephen Adams as your co-hosts. Let's begin. Oh, how are you? My <laughs> Today we're going to be talking with uh, one of our really, really great mentors in the history of hair, Nicholas French. So, oh, I see. Okay. You want to lead us off, on, Stephen? Well, I, th- I figure, you know, it'd be really great just to kind of get a little bit of your history. Like, where did you start doing hair? Um, how did you get into the hair world? And yeah. how, what brought you to where you are today? And just kind of like a little history of like your whole career would be really great. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't really know all of it. So it'd be really awesome to hear. Yeah. I know a lot of it because I've been stalking you my entire career. So and I've, I've uh, asked you a ton of questions, but I want to hear it all again because I love that stuff. Yeah, it's always good to be doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Dick, why, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us a little bit of history about yourself and and you know where you got how you got to where you're at now and and uh, we then there. we could go in from there. That would be great. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. Yeah, you want to start now? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I started basically, uh, my father was a hairdresser in from 1922 onwards, actually. And I have all his stuff from 1922 onwards, believe it or not. Um, so he was my sort of mentor, my inspiration. Uh, my two elder brothers didn't want to go into the industry. Uh, they were, one was an artist, one invented fashion consulting, actually. and. Uh, which is quite interesting. And I, I went into it a little bit hesitant. And I, I was with my father as an apprentice for about a year. Um, and I really hated working with him because he was brilliant. He was famous at that time. He had about 27 sounds, product lines, everything else. And it was a bit difficult to follow in his footsteps. So I, I was a little bit of an artist I could draw. Um, so I did some drawings of haircuts and I walked around to Bond Street to Vidal Sassoon. Um, and this was in the 1960s. And I showed my drawings and they said, well, do you do hair? I said, not really, you know, not like you guys. And um, but these are the shapes that I really think are cool. And you could take these shapes and use it with your cutting techniques. And um, it was uh, Christopher Brooker actually, who I met. Yeah. And, and he said, oh, wow, this is really cool, you know. So let's go and do a test. So I went and did a test and I picked up my shears, which were huge, rather like this, look, they're massive, <laughs> like that. And I then cut my knuckle off to kick off the demonstration. <laughs> and, uh, that was a good start. Um, and they gave me these little baby shears and said, that's what you're going to be working with. This is precision haircut. You know? um, it's not butchering your hair. <laughs> so I had to restart a bit else and I was there for two years. And, it, it, you know, when I mentioned my name to Christopher, he said, oh, my goodness, Freddie French is French of London's son. What are we going to do? You know? And um, so what happened was um, I left home and I didn't speak to my dad for three and a half, four years. Uh, he wouldn't speak to me. And um, so I had to rent a little apartment. And then I worked in a Russian restaurant at night in, where was it now, in Kinnison Street in London, which still exists actually, called the Borshan Tears. And um, so I could pay my way for my one room, chair, bathroom, 
for two years. And, you know, but it, it, was, it was an amazing experience. I worked in Sloan Street, which is not the one that sort of existed till recently. It was the one further up the street, the old Carita Salon, which was a, okay. a famous French hairdressing people. It didn't go very well. So Fidel knew them and he took it over. And so I worked there and I held hair for Christopher Brooker. I actually held hair once a week for Fidel Sassoon. And we had to know all the sections because we basically sectioned the hair standing in front of the client with their head down. Um, so we had to learn all the haircuts. There were seven haircuts you had to learn. And that was it. And that was so brilliant about Vidal because um, it was like buying a shirt that was so beautiful and there was only seven of them, you know? And so we went to a party and it, it stood out. You said, that's a Vidal Sassoon haircut. That's a Vidal Sassoon you know? Um, my dad was very famous before that for inventing um, casual hairdressing, hair that actually moved, although it was set and it was cheese cut. And I'm going to show you um, a, a demo in, in a second of how he actually uh, cut hair, which was extraordinary, but it was very effective. You know, it's all about solutions, isn't it, hairdressing? And so I, I went from Sassoon's and I went to Canada with um, a guy called Lewis, who was crazy. Um, and then I came back and then I worked at, um, uh, I worked at uh, Moulton Brown, which was a wonderful place. And another salon called Derrick Road just before that, where they did famous people's hair. And um, when I was at Derrick Row, uh, this wonderful hairdresser, only just passed last year, I think, Canadian. And he used to be at Elizabeth Arden and he opened up this very flashy salon. And I met this woman called Ingrid Cleave, who's brilliant with long hair. Brilliant. I, I didn't know. She said, you, you're going to put some hair up for us. I said, where? I, I'm a cutter. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing like that. So what basically happened was that she taught me two hairstyles. Yeah. One was actually, uh, one had a foundation. Remember, we're talking about now, 1969. Yeah, 1969. And it was basically this little baby here, which is cotton wool. Uh, uh, and it's stuffed into a stocking so you could just, you know, make shapes and um, all the hair was rather like an onion shape and then you place the tiara in the middle. So I learned how to do that, um, you know, really perfectly because I only knew two hairstyles, right? So, and so I got quite well known for that and, and I got this phone call in the reception. They said, you can't have phone calls in the reception. Because you have to go to the staff room. So I went down to the staff room. And this really changed my life, actually, because it was this voice, this is Commander John, whatever he was. I'm the um, equerry for um, the Queen. I said, oh, don't be ridiculous. I've got two haircuts, a perm, you know, <laughs> I need to get back to work. So I slammed the phone down. And then he phoned back to the salon. And it was actually, they wanted me to do um, Princess Margaret's hair. Oh, wow. Alice, right? So remember, I knew two actors, right? So I go around there, you know, long brown hair with a fringe in my bag, nervous as hell, really, to Kensington Palace, which is a little one. Uh, and they have this big balcony with who's in, who's out, and whatever. So I went into there, and um, she was, in those days, she's very, very beautiful. She's nice, you know, and she used to chain smoke and drink all the time. And um, so I did this hairstyle absolutely perfectly, put the tiara on the top, which I had to sew into braids because, it was, this tiara she used most of all 
was one of the tiaras that the Russian royal family sent um, before they, in 1917, before they all got killed, to try and bribe Princess uh, Victoria, Queen Victoria, to actually um, let them into England, okay? And she just kept the jewelry. And so there's amazing tiaras and stuff. But after about three weeks, um, uh, Princess Margaret um, said, uh, darling, can we have a chat? I said, okay, why has one only got one hairstyle on one's head? And I said, because I only know one hairstyle. <laughs> so I had to start learning how to handle long hair a little bit better, you know, instead of doing the seven haircuts, which I knew really, really well. Um, so there's a wonderful hairdresser, two hairdressers um, that were amazing. Uh, one was Ingrid Klee, who worked for Carita. Um, uh, another one was called Marie Claire, was a French girl, came from Paris. And uh, a wonderful Polish guy who was incredible, was called Spencer. Um, the hands of God, you know? And they took, took me under their wing and, you know, I was a nervous wreck and they taught me all these hairstyles and, and the rest is history. So I got very interested in doing dress work, um, rather like my dad did. My dad was, you know, after the Second World War, he started making a difference in people's hair. Um, you know, Vidal Sassoon says in his book, you know, I used to go and watch Freddie work at the Polytechnic, where, which was a place where you could watch people do hair and you could ask questions, you know? And Vidal, when he was 17, went to one of these meetings in the Polytechnic in London. It was like a university, but they rented it out. And, um, and he looked at my father's work and people used to laugh because my dad brushed the hair and it actually moved and people laughed. And Vidal said, I was absolutely furious with the people who laughed because at last I saw a glimpse of the future. And that was 1937, you know? Oh, wow. um, 1938 was a great story um, because uh, Denman Dean, who invented the Denman brush, went to America to develop a new product, uh, to develop into bulletproof vests, okay? Um, nylon is called nylon because NY is New York and LA is London. And it was a combination of these two. And it didn't work, it was too heavy, okay? So he comes back and he had a sister, Demondine, with terrible hair. And he phoned up my father, telephoned him up, you know, and said, Freddie, if you can invent with this product, I have three tons of it I brought back on the boat because they just gave it to me, so you can have it. Um, if you can brush my sister's hair through with this brush, then we're in business. And that's how the Demond brush started. And what dad basically did was to, um, develop different ways of using the Demon brush. Um, and very interestingly, especially in today's climate, when you all get back to your salons, which you will do, um, hygiene is going to be number one, you know? Yeah. And my dad had, every client had a tray um, and it followed her everywhere she went. She had a coat number on it all plugged in. She had a a fresh comb in, a, in, a, in those days, a paper or sterilized, a brush head, a demon brush head, which comes off, used to come off, or could bring it back on again. And that was only used on her hair. Um, and the little head things for, you know, going under the dryer and everything else. And um, that was really fascinating. So, you know, going back to Derek Rose, I worked there 
and then I, I missed out a bit of the story because then I went to America after Derek Rowe um, and I worked in a salon in Atlanta called Blood, Sweat and Scissors, right? <laughs> Blood, Sweat and Scissors was the first unisex salon in America. It was crazy, all right? Cool. And I remember them doing a shag haircut when I walked in and they pulled this girl's hair up and put them now, you have to understand, I was in a three-piece suit, very traditionally English, you know, very strict, you know, it was a soon train. And I went in there, and they pulled it up in an elastic band, and then they cut it and let the hair collapse, and that was it. Like, oh, my goodness. So I closed the salon down, I taught them how to do it properly, and I was there for like a year and a half, and uh, it was a great experience, to say the least. And that's my sort of first, you know, meeting with America, basically. Um, and that was great. Then I came back and then I worked with Norton Brown, which is Michael Collis's son, who um, was a wonderful hairdresser from Sassoon's, but he really loosened up hair. And he, he said, we're going to finger dry hair, we're going to make it all loose. Very almost sort of modern cyber hippie thing, sort of early 70s, you know? So we worked there. And I remember there was three of us and in this tiny room in South Malton Street at the top of this building, because his wife's um, parents owned Browns, which was a collection of amazing stores. And also they owned the rights to Ralph Lauren in Europe, which is insane. And um, in those days, so we worked away doing this finger drying and this very natural haircutting. And you know, the hair was hardly set. And we weren't busy at all. People hated it. You know, this is 1971. What are you doing? You know, I want my hair to be like bouffant and back. No, 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 we don't do that. Um, so I stayed there, and one of my first great experiences um, for a while. And then what happened, uh, when I left there, there were 60 hairdressers on four floors within five years, because that whole mood that he created really caught on, you know, and we set hair in rags and we permed hair in, in uh, very unusual things, so it was very loose, uh, absolutely amazing company called Morton Brown, they went into products and the rest is history, they're all over the place, but um, the salon was a very breakthrough. Then I went to, um, I got headhunted by, ironically, Andrew Finkelstein, who I'm going to appear with later, I think this month, um, who ran Glenby, so I went to Harvey Nichols department store, okay. um, because I was in a trendy salon, if you will, quote unquote, and Glenby wasn't a trendy group, they were like store salon, so they wanted my influence. So I went to this beautiful new store, Harvey Nichols, which was kind of become very edgy. And I worked with them and I said, oh, wow, you know, what am I, you know, um, what am I doing? Why aren't I doing your session work? And they said, no, you, we got, we, we don't, you're, you're Glen B. We want, we've got session hairdressers. And then I did a session job for them. I did 10 pages in Vogue and they loved it. And it was an African-American girl called Jan Stevenson. I'll never forget that. And, um, and of course, Glenby were furious. We don't do black hair. I said, this is 10 pages in Vogue. It's got yeah. a little right. top floor, Harvey Nichols. That's the biggest ad we're going to have in the world. And then, <coughs> excuse me, then I got involved in session hairdressing as well as working for, as an artistic director for Glenby. Um, so I have a question for you about Glenby, just, just you know, from my own, my own perspective. Yeah. Um, were you there when the Chadwicks were working there as well? No, I think just, they were with Glen B mainly in America, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, America and Canada. But yeah, I knew them quite well. Um, we used to see them at events in England. Uh, 
you know, and they, they were amazing, amazing couple actually. Uh, mm -hmm. I knew, well, through most of their careers, you know, they're, they're sort of inspiration when you come to America and do air shows, which happened a bit later. Um, okay. uh, career, you know, when I opened my salons up uh, in the early 80s, and I thought, ooh. And um, Denman, funny enough, asked me to do a hair show in Reading, which is a little town. And I did it with Chris Burridge asked me. Um, and I went into this hair show. I thought, oh, this would be a good outlet. And then it, it really grew um, doing the shows. So, you know, I went to I went all over the world. I did like a ton of about 2,300 actual shows. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, so now, you know, I went to Australia, went to places, Japan, to Japan, doing a haircutting um, thing in Japan. I mean, I went to one place in Japan in 1981, um, and there were 4,000 students, you know? I had to do a box bob, a far, uh, a far fly, <laughs> and uh, a long layered haircut, and they videoed it, and they sold the videos for $20 each to the 4,000 students. I thought it was really clever. But I was being filmed all the time, so it had to be absolutely perfect. You know, I don't know if I could do the box bob anymore because my eyesight's not as good as it was then. But it was fascinating, you know, eye-opening to me. Um, so I got involved in all these different areas, and then I got an agent. Um, so I was a freelance hairdresser for 20 years, in addition to doing everything else. Right. Um, and I did the hair for TV commercials um, with amazing directors, because most of the directors on film, uh, like Ridley Scott and Tony, the late Tony Scott, um, Adrian Lyne, who did Unfaithful, um, all those guys came from advertising companies and they were actually, um, you know, uh, directors. They, they were actually, you know, like Ridley Scott, um, it was amazing and he came for he was an illustrator because in the old days um it wasn't really photographs to advertise it was actually drawings right. in magazines the old vogues and stuff another time i have to bring up my collection of old vogues and you'll see how many drawings there were my father had an artist who used to draw for him his hairstyles and everything else you know it's fascinating so uh, ridley came from that ilk and he came to advertise in london and um and he hated the directors of the TV commercials. So he, he hired the director for union reasons, and he started directing. And that's how he started. In fact, I've seen Alien uh, with every drawing, every frame he drew. The original Alien got fired three times. It was too frightening. And every drawing, every frame he drew, and I've seen it, the book opened it up as I was watching it in his offices in, in London, Beach Street. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, my career's been very, all over the place, really. And then, um, you know, uh, I came to America many, many times to do shows for lots of different com companies, you know, from Conair to, uh, you know, like in and out from England. And then I did a big show in 1991 and uh, in the Long Beach show there. And in those days, they had awards in those days. And if you remember, they had awards for, mm -hmm. you know, like best main stage, best platform, best uh, classroom, you know, if you will. Yeah, right. So, and I, I came from England with like 25 outfits and all, I brought all the clothes, the wardrobe, the music, the formats, everything, you know. Um, and we did this show for Logix, which was then part of Bristol Myers Squibb, which was Clairol. Yep. Um, and afterwards they said, oh, we've got to speak to you. And I said, you know, I would have changed this or changed No, 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 we've got to speak to you. It took me to a very quiet bar. And I went, oh, this is trouble, you know? And I said, well, you know, 
feel good, mate. I said, oh, give me some that. I was a bit worried because we were talking in this quiet space. He said, we got the award for best main stage presentation. Uh, we got the award for best classroom and best on-platform education. I thought, my goodness, that's exciting. Wow. So that's my start of my journey with, um, with sort of Matrix because I was with Logix and Logix went to Matrix when they sold out to Bristol Myers Squibb. And then subsequently, 2002, they sold out to L'Oreal. So I was with them for 24 years until a couple of years ago when they changed some direction and, it, you know, and they wanted to do you know, whatever they wanted to do. And that was the end of it, which is rather sad, you know? It ended in that way. It was rather, you know, a bit crazy, but um, that's life. I think, so, I, saw you. I think I saw you in 91 for Logix, actually. I think that that was the first time I ever actually saw, saw my you. My goodness, yeah? Wow. wow. I was probably at that show also. Yeah. So that was, that was a sort of career thing. And then, you know, um, interestingly enough, you know, all the thousands of shows are done, photo shoots, I mean, it's just too many things to even remember. But um, there's, there's some ultimate things that were interesting recently. Um, I had a phone call from a couple of years ago from Ladonia Pucci when I left Matrix. And I was feeling a bit down, to say the least. And she said, well, and I said, I thought it was a joke. So, you know, Emilio Pucci company is huge, you know, and they do amazing stuff. And in the 60s and 70s, they used to do amazing um, sort of hairdressing styles. And she said, I really want you to do something for us for the uh, Basel Art Fair in Miami for our windows, you know, to do amazing hairstyles mm -hmm. in the same ilk. So basically, I'm just going to go off screen for a minute and I'll grab something. And the, hair, the hairstyle she liked that I did was this one, oh, yeah. which was 2012 collection for uh, that one Naha, right? Yeah, uh, she, she loved that because she said it's very indicative of what our old ads were like. And these were the old ads from the sort of, let me just pick one up. This is some of the old ads they did in the 60s. Can you see okay. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. So she said, Would you do something modern and fresh? This was done by a woman called Alba was a brilliant hairdresser and I said well you know what happened she did these as well which were wonderful okay, you know I said well what happened to Albert so we worked together and it wasn't so it wasn't so good I said, God bless her you know um so the way it ended up and this is just I just got a couple of photographs here of the actual so what I did for them was make it really modern so this is what I, I started working on I just go inside so this is a kind of look this was actually in the in the showroom and then I did some other stuff that was very indicative. Can you see that? Yeah. 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 So that, and then, and then this was the windows with, uh, this was another one here. So I had to, and you'll recognize this haircut from Sassoon's actually that I remembered luckily. Um, here, look, you can see right close up. Oh, yeah. 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 Awesome. So I made it very sort of 60s, 70s retro, but with a modern sort of twist on it. And then he ended up in the windows, which was great through um, the Art Basel Fair, which was really cool. And you can I see remember, this. I remember yeah. seeing you. I remember seeing you post all this on social media. And thinking, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, and how fitting is it that that you actually had some stuff in the windows, and and your dad used to do that. I was like, and actually, I remember seeing that and almost crying because I remember you know seeing because I, I saw the British pathé of your father oh, doing the pathé right. ones. And then putting um, wax on it, and so I was like, "It's so cool that it's almost completely full circle that yeah, you were exactly. able to do the same thing." And I, I think I reached out yeah. and 
messaged you about that. I just thought that was so awesome. Which brings me to the point which can help hairdressers today, I think, because uh, dad's salons, he didn't want to have photographs in the window, although he did thousands of photographs, right? Um, he wanted to make it look like an art gallery, mm-hmm. you know? So people would say, so you wouldn't have had your hair done, go to French London. So where's the, where's the hair? So, oh, wow, this is it here. It looks like an amazing piece of sculpture in the window, which he created. And it may be made out of shells or goodness knows what. Uh, you have water coming down. He, he was so creative. And I used to help him from the age of 10. I was helping him at the time. Um, and so what basically happened, people went in because they were really interested to see what was inside uh, as far as their, their hairdressing point of view, because there was no hair in the windows, you know? It might be a drawing of a hairstyle, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But no photographs. Because he said, if they, if they see a photograph and they don't like the hairstyle, they won't come in. Right. Consultation is the key, isn't it? Yeah. You know, who's sitting in your chair. And my dad used to say, which we can all learn from, and I'm, I always remember what he used to say, you know, when I used to do clients later on. And I said, what do you think, Freddie, of my hairstyle? It's always terrible. Said, Thanks very much. Um, he said, you've got, to, you've got to understand one thing. It's not how much hair you cut. It's what you leave and where you leave it. That's exactly. Which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, he makes yeah. it very simple to understand. And then mm. the other thing, he said, um, if you understand the inside of a woman's head, you have a small chance of getting the outside right. <laughs> they used to say, good luck, you know? I think that's, you know, I think that's really an important thing, you know, and, um, but there's lots of things you can do. I'm going to bring over one of my other mannequins. Uh, yeah. Lots of things you can do that goes into the past, you know? Um, trying to bring this forward because I can't move. I wish I had a camera here. You know, and a, a lot of the techniques he used were pretty amazing. And one of the techniques that I still use that he, he did was really, um, I think they call it effluage or something, which is holding the hair lightly. So, for instance, if you wanted the hair to go over here, I'll put it in closer. I know it's difficult on the camera. Here we go. It's dark here as well. But basically, what he did, and he used a very big sheet like this. Basically what he did, if he wanted the hair to sit this way, he would actually go the wrong way and he would actually hold the hair down. Tease, can you see this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tease Tease in like that. Overdrive. Then he would go down at an angle and cut the hair off like that. And I used to, when I was a kid, I used to scream. I thought, what's he doing? And then what happened, he used to hold the hair, put it out, Pull this out, and then what happened with that is just used to go softly over the side here and get this beautiful soft layers in the head. That's actually a really amazing little technique. Yeah, totally. You know, you you can extract the hair on one side, back comb it, cut it, comb it out, and it just has and just hold it, hold it down like the same. You know techniques we use today. You know, overdirect the hair the wrong way, cutting on the bias. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember this when I had my salon in Beak Street in London, and a, a client came in to me and said, "Nicholas, I want a friend's haircut." Yeah. Yep. And I said, "Well, you need to bring your friend in so I can see her," because I didn't know what friends was. I've never seen one. <laughs> I, I said, "Where is your show. friend? I can't see your friend's haircut." <laughs> And, I, and then she showed me a picture, like they used to shove it in your face. I thought, oh, my God. 
how am I going to make this hair land here softly and beautifully? Then I remembered dad's technique and I kept combing and combing and combing really nervously. He said, when are you going to start cutting? Do you know what you're doing? And I said, <laughs> unlike, you know, England, America, in England, we have to test the scalp flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> before we decide to cut the hair. So we know we can feel, this is a load of bullshit, really. Um, <laughs> I was just testing for time. And then I did this technique and I went, oh my goodness. Now, of course, I went crazy. I could do a whole layer of haircuts with it and you right. get seamless, you know, as long as you know where you're coming from and where you're going to. Like with this, it's very simple. Um, it's over-direct the hair the wrong way. So you're cutting it on the bias. Okay, and just come down like this and hold it low. And what does that mean? You're keeping the length, aren't you? Yep. Basically. And when you push it in, and always cut like we cut on the axis of the shears, and we cut down at an angle. And that, that's the key point. But the, you know, we can learn so much from the past. And, you know, we can learn so much stuff from the past, can't we? Yeah, exactly. So that was the sort of thing that, that Dad really taught me. And I've used it so much, it's unbelievable. Um, and the other thing is, and uh, we'll brush this through very quickly. Yeah. But the other thing is, I, I set this very similar to the way my dad used to um, do hair. Let's see if we can hold her in a bit tighter and we can brush her out. And the demo brush basically was invented um, for styling the hair. So what they used to do in the 50s is to basically, um, the client would come in, cut their hair dry, okay? They cut it dry, perhaps with the, you know, that technique, you know, so it was like wispy on the ends, it was very light. And then what they used to do, shampoo the hair, then they would set it. And my dad was the first person ever to set hair on very loose, big uh, pin curls on the top or in rollers and then they brush their hair out. When they came to brushing their hair out, they always had the client's head back. Right. So I, I, I was in the salons from the age of 10 onwards, and they had the client's head back, and they really brushed through like with a, with a demon. So they're brushing their hair down, they'll take the clips out, I mustn't forget that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wasn't going to do this, but I thought, why not? Okay, because I want to show you how they really yeah. cut their hair. Oh, when I awesome. use Clips and pins, I always use very cool ones. I've got my magnetic wristband, so I had them all there. So at least I look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, um, and I love to revisit the past because you can make the hair look very modern very quickly, um, which I think is important. So let's just brush this baby out. And I use my hands, when I hold the hands, I hold on the top of the brush like that. Right. I'm gonna come down, we're gonna move around. It's a bit difficult without a camera, why not? Let's just go for it. And then when I come back, I always push forwards and I spread out the wave with my fingers. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I remember I used to set the hair a lot. And I used to, <coughs> you know, trying to get the movement and it wouldn't work. And my, I remember my dad used to do that. Just, he hasn't even started yet. We come to the other side. Let's move around the other way. Like this, get around here. Same deal, we start at the bottom. With the demon, we're going to really hold the hair and brush it through so we're very thorough. Okay, like this. And then I'll show you how to back brush the hair because it's always 
useful to have techniques that one can use. And we can make this look very modern quite easily by just doing very loose things with it, okay? You know, the thing is, always put in the set, when you set hair about 25% more than you want, because then you can brush out, you know, what you don't want, but you can't put it in if it's not there, so to speak. Right. Yeah? The head back, for two reasons. One, because you get really more thorough through the hair, and the other reason is so the client can't see what you're doing. Because <laughs> they go like, oh, oh, Nick, I'm not feeling it. Oh, oh, you sure about this? You know? So it's all kinds of things that my dad taught me. Again, to push in, you know, and push in and spread the wave in their hair. Now, when they, when they did this in the 50s, and they're all very smartly dressed, um, beautiful color here by Doug Martucci, who's a friend of mine who colors hair. He comes and does all my coloring for oh, that's me. That's awesome. Doug's great I'll guy. another thing as well, tip as well, because when you see you get these little ends, yeah, in the hair. So to get rid of those, I can find my paper in somewhere. I'll show you a little trick in a minute when I finish the style. So now we're going to back brush the hair. The back brushing, basically, you held the hair out and you held your can you see in there? Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you see, and I'll show you how much volume you can get with the back brush and look. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this is what they did to start with. To get, put volume into the hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then hang on a minute, I'm just gonna hold it back there. So then, then they came over the top and they started to really work their hair into whatever they wanted to do. And when they used hairspray. They would very cleverly um, use the hairspray, like they held the hair up and just underneath. It was never like this ridiculous. All that does is kill flies. So always... <laughs> just place the yeah. place the hairspray where it needs to be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then they just really work it over and just push it, so it lo it looked casual. And the ends they combed out completely, so. It, it sort of started to sort of move, which was cool. Just I want to get this a bit more. So to make this a bit more modern, you see, so they could actually put it behind the ear and do different things with it if they wanted to. And then if you wanted something more sculpture looking, or even up here, you want to put the hair up, they would just literally just twist it and pin it. So you just got a really nice sort of loose feel to the hair. You know, it's all, it's all about, you know, balance, proportion, and shape, isn't it? Yeah. And then the other thing they used to do, which I thought was really cool, was to use Sanic strip on the head. Let's put a head back. I'll show you on another head as well what we can do. This is a great way. I'm just going to show you tiny little tips and tricks. So I hope I can change off that well, just to show you, get some ideas. You can see that's really loose and it moves. So going back, let's take our head off. And we'll put another one. It's great to take people's heads off, isn't it? Right, put that there. And then we're going to show you on this baby how they've made hairpins disappear as well. So if you brush their hair through here on this, you see that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, they had lots of tricks in those days, which I really loved. Um, and this is one of them I'm going to show you. So, so basically, they use the brush to back brush underneath. And you've got this vast amount of volume in the hair. And then as they brushed it down, they started to use hairspray in the hair 
I'll grab some hairspray. And they always went down the cuticles of the, which is a good tip to go down the cuticles of the hair. So you get okay. a really nice yep. finish to it. Exactly. And, that. and then on top of that, what they used to do was quite clever. They used to get some paper and they would soak it with hairspray. This is an old 19, gosh, sort of 60s, 50s trick. So if you've got any ends to the hair, you'd soak a, a barber strip. You know the Sanex strip? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, uh, got it? Sanex okay. Should be you soak that time. and you put it down, put it down the hair to sort of get that amazing sort of finish. And then when they put hair up, which really I think we can use today, is when they put it up, they gather the hair. And I'll show you, they walked around the head. I'll just show you something simple, how to make them. They put their left thumb in the hair and they would twist it up into these amazing sort of shapes. <laughs> it's like so effortless. Just like you just pick up the hair and yeah. pin it. No hairpin. <laughs> and then also another tip is they used to pinch it. You know, if you saw a gap, remember when you were at hairdressing school, you went, oh my God, and you sprayed, you sprayed and sprayed and sprayed, hoping for something to happen. You know, it's just and nothing worse. just got worse and worse. Um, and then with the hairpins, this is the, this is the whole thing. I'm just going to do this a little bit again, just a bit cleaner. Um, I'm just going to do the demon. But it's interesting these tips from watching in the fifties and sixties, and you know, on films and stuff. And my dad working, you've seen some of those bad news films, but he never really showed the technique that much, which is important. So let's just make this really clean. And another brush here. All right. So would you, say that, here. would you say that everybody, like all modern hairdressers, really should learn how to set hair? No, oh, yeah. Because, you know, if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And I say that to myself all the time. And also, I always say, because my job is to sort of be relatively fresh, uh, I always say, when was the last time did I create something new? For the first time, I think that's that's important. And sometimes we have to look back to move forwards. Um, and like this is a great tip. I'm going to show you how to make a hairpin disappear. I know we haven't got much time, so I just want to you know, left left thumb in, and then we walk around the head. We walk around the head makes it even tighter. Um, like this, like that, and then you get it really nice and tight. Oh wow! By walking around the head, you see. So yeah. yeah, it naturally pulls in. Yep. Yeah, like that. And then you get your pin. I'm going to use a very big hairpin to show you so you can see. Normally we're talking. It's a hairpin, um, not a bobby pin, correct? No, no. I mean, do you know um, why the bobby pin was invented? No. no. The bobby pin. Close, very close. Well, turn of the century, women didn't have the vote in America. So um, some women, to protest, they went and cut all their hair off into a nasty bob at a barber shop. There are no ladies' hairdressing salons then. Um, so this genius of a man invented the spring clip so you could actually roll your hair up so you looked like a bob, so you could protest without cutting all your hair off. That's <laughs> mad, isn't oh, it? Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. There you go. 
that's the there new bag. Yeah. So instead of putting the pin in feet first, yep. yeah, you put the pin in head first and you go up and then you get the grip in here. Yeah. And then press down and the hairpin will disappear. It's fantastic. That's amazing. So, that, so it's always head first. Just a little bit of a tip to go on with. Let's turn around and see what we've got going on here. And then in the front, I'm just going to show you like little vignettes, if you will, you know, because the rest is, uh, I'll have to get stuff going online for a bit and then my classes and things that I do hopefully will return in the fall. Um, and I just want to show you what I did about 20 years ago almost. And people now are doing a lot of this now, which is amazing. And that is when we're brushing hair through and I put a little bit of um, crimping in it to make it give it a texture. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't call it crimping, I call it embossing. It sounds much more modern, doesn't it? Oh, embossing, it does, okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. embossing. Except otherwise, people say, I haven't got the shoulder pads, <laughs> shoulder pads <laughs> anymore, you know? So that kind of stuff. And um, so, when I was messing around a long time ago, I was on a stage in, um, in Singapore, actually, and it was a terribly dark stage. And I thought, ooh, and I left out one side of the hair like this, and I, I forgot about it. I didn't forget about it. I couldn't see it. And so this is what I did. It was about, oh my goodness, it must be about 16 years ago, I think it was this. So basically, I don't think about it too much. What I'm doing is split the hair into two, fingers up, and what do you notice? It's all very uneven. And people who do braiding, um, Everything is so neat and beautiful. Fine, fantastic for a certain look. This is really for like what I call design disorder hair. So I split it yeah. to two. And then what I'm going to do now is bring it back to three. So that's going to be locked off from the roots. So that's not going to move from the roots. That's the most important thing. It doesn't move from here. Now I'm going to get back to four and put my fingers up. It's right up straight and it's yeah. through. I just want to show you, this is a really useful technique and you'll notice the speed of it. Most of these hairstyles would really, you learn on the fly when you've got to do 45 models or something. And they give you, oh, you've, you're okay, Nick, you've only got eight. You know, <laughs> you've got 20 minutes, <laughs> what am I meant to do? Oh, we want that braided sort of, you know, whatever, this is a drawing. And you, oh my goodness. So you have to really learn how to do stuff very quickly. So I just want to show a couple of things as tips. You might have seen it before, but so everybody does it differently. Now you hold out the braid and you use your fingers like shears, yeah? yep. and then we're just going to squeeze that in like this. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we're just going to start to take all this out, and then we're going to come around like that, in that up, and twist this around here. And then this is a key point of this is to really um, use positioning pins. And what I mean by position pin, in competitions in the 1960s, um, you know, before, because the hairspray was so strong, what we used to do was to use positioning pins so we could place the hair where we wanted it before we sprayed it. Because if you sprayed it, that was it for a week, okay? You know, the hairspray was really very, very strong and, and sort of really out there. Something was slightly asymmetric. You can see I use the same thing, head first, put that through here, and we're going to put that over here and in, and the hairpin will disappear. 
Like I said, we come up more, we come up more, we come up more. To see how that's beginning to get a shape, isn't it now more? Yeah, can you see that? Right. Oh, it would make it get more of a shape. So it's a matter of standing back and, and realizing balance, proportion, and shape. So out of this little braid, you're starting to create something that has a sort of value. And again, head first. I want to show you just a little bit of stuff, not a lot, but you know, oh, I love it. And then down. <laughs> I was not expecting to get a hair, hair demonstration <laughs> and all this. This is kind of amazing. You know what, I'm, what I was just thinking is, is you know, Nick, I think that I have followed you my entire career. I've never been able to actually take a class from you ever in my entire career. I've always wanted to, but every time I've been able to, I've been at hair shows giving classes as well. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Like, like, like Stephen and I are getting like a private class from you. I know. Like I, I actually, like, well, first of all, watching your hands. Instagram, so we'll see how many people are actually following it. We got about eight <laughs> right now. Um, but watching Nick's hands, like I want to quit doing long hair. Like, like I, like I'm never going to do it again because he's got like the hands of a master. Oh, well, not at all. It's just, you know, it's like everything else. It's practice, isn't it? You know, mm. it's like you know, it's a lot of people. I've, I've met lots of amazing people, and I've said, "How do you do it?" You know, actors and people like that, and famous people. And I said, "How do you do all that?" I said Nick, it's practice, 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 and that's what it is. It's, you know, even these comedians amazing things you know it's all about real practice and experimentation they, they didn't do anything they didn't know how to do and i think that's the most important bit mm. i mean you can do what you want with this even you know with the, the back of the hair we could change this up a bit if we wanted to but you know it it's interesting how you just got to be able to really read the hair you know and, and have that clean eye so you can see how the shape look okay mm -hmm. yeah and that's exactly. the most important thing and then you might see that needs to be tighter at the sides or whatever you want to do, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's really important. Or you might want to do something at the nape of the neck, you know, um, which is really interesting. But it's all about, um, like my dad said, you know, when I first started doing long hair, he said, you've got to loosen it up. And mm -hmm. even with a classical technique, if, if you use the classical technique in the hair, um, you can loosen it up and make it look very fresh and modern if you want. You know, like I'm going to put a bobby pin in this side because I want it to be very simple. Yeah. Um, and when you do put bobby pins in, the most important thing is to, the head's curved. And so to really bend it so that it's curved. You want to bend it to the curve of the head? Yeah. Excellent. And then you can just slip that baby in and it's going to go in and it's going to go around the head. So you're not going to have that, you know, another new like little on. trick to you utilize when working with. Yeah, yeah. So you just like, go around and just curve, curve it, it in like that. Nice. You get this really nice, and then to make it more editorial, you just have to deconstruct, you know, to make it looser. So a lot of the hairstyles you see now looks like they haven't done their hair, you know, on the runways. It looks like they haven't done their hair at all. But somebody's probably done it and then deconstructing by putting pieces of hair out. Mm -hmm. right? And I find a good way to do that is, um, you know, like with a smaller brush around the head, hairlines, take it out, or even a toothbrush is good. I've used it, not my toothbrush, but I've used a toothbrush in the hair. Yeah, don't use the one you used this morning, but. Different, you know? Um, and even to sew it, if you wanted to sew in, you know, you could actually sew, sew that, you know, sew, sew it in together and then take the pins out. And I use, for sewing, I use these, uh, 
you can see they're like rubber, no, they're like plastic oh, yeah. from Michael's, but you get the large eye, and then yeah. you can sew it with hair if you want, um, which is a cool thing to do. If you had more time to do it, we would do it. You know, perhaps we do another thing sometime and I can just focus yeah, yeah. on it. You know? But I just wanted to show you a couple of bits that I learned yeah, awesome. from. You know, my, my dad's experience, and this is, um, I'm going to show you uh, something that he did here. Um, I'll have to get you to do that. Um, and this, this was 19, so I can read, 1951, March, and it was his first Vogue cover. Yeah, it's Vogue. Yep. That's and interestingly great. enough, they didn't make, um, it, they, you couldn't see the hair in 51 because it was all hats white gloves hoop dresses right right mm -hmm. um, so dad actually made hats he had them made and to sell in his salons so they would feature the hairstyle oh that's cool you know? yeah i mean oh, this this so was cool. this hairstyle was really designed um for what they called in those days exit dresses so the basic they were backless dresses of that period 1951 yeah. you know just just past the 40s and that is beautiful backless dresses it, you know, the woman could wear it. And so he designed this specifically for um, that kind of a dress. You can imagine the shoulders and back. Mm -hmm. And this was out, obviously, velvet for whatever reason. Um, but fascinating. And inside this is the original Vogue, you know? Oh, oh wow. Uh, I want to show you one thing. I've got That's another amazing. thing here before we wrap it up. And that is um, when, I worked at, when I worked at Derek Rose, um, who was a wonderful hairdresser. He had a lot of patience with me and I was really young and sentimental. Um, and one day he said, would you go um, and do uh, a look for Cosmopolitan? I said, you're coming with me, aren't you? He said, no, you go on your own, do your own thing, Nick, but make it different. Leave your scar in the studio. I said, what do you mean by that? So don't do something that they want. So I went, there's this girl called Julie Crossways and, and she was blonde and um, I did this little bob, blonde bob with some Diamante jewelry down the, you know, it was 1971, down the yeah. parting. And I spent about two hours making it polished and beautiful and fabulous, you know? And the editor's name was Deirdre McSherry. Um, she just walks in and says, oh, darling, when are we going to start doing the hair? I've just done it, you know, God, don't you like it? Oh, no, no, I need tons and tons and tons of hair. And I thought, oh dear. So anyway, I just happened to have a load of hair pieces in my bag. Um, and I, I put all the hair in and everything else, you know. And um, she, she was just really nasty. And this is the first cover ever of Cosmopolitan, right? And it's really brilliant because I went on the tube, the subway to work um, the next month when it came out. And I purposely left a hairpin sticking out top, just a gold one, just a tiny bit. I hated her so much, I thought I'd mess your cover up. Because in those days, you couldn't retouch, it was film. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah. And in fact, this is this is the actual um, the actual magazine itself, actually. It's March 1972. And this is the actual magazine itself. Look, that's okay. the cover I did. So I had to add all this hair, which is a great shame. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she was wonderful. She, she, the model was fantastic, you know, just the people around us, oh my goodness. So that's the, and then the rest is history. So everybody said, believe it or not, who did that? Because he wasn't all sculpted all over the place there. And that in those days, in the seventies, my goodness, he hasn't backcombed it. It should be really high. 
should be really wide. This wasn't. And they said, yeah. this is terrible. What have you done? You know? And they, they actually said, you know what? It's really cool because it's different. You know, because it's loose. It looks like nobody's touched it. Right. So that was interesting. So then I, I got lots of other work and I ended up, uh, like I said, I did the 10 pages in Vogue, which was fantastic. Um, and all kinds of other opportunities came up and it started my career up, you know? Um, but I mean, my mentors were really the older hairdressers yeah. that people probably won't know, um, like Alexandra Paris. Uh, uh-huh. Oh no, we just I, talked about was, him the other day. Yeah, he's wonderful, you know, and he's nice, he's a nice guy as well. Um, he, he, he actually, late, latter days of his life, he, was, he lived in the south of France, he sold out, but he was brilliant. There was a guy called Guillaume who um, founded Intercoiffure, who was a great artist, a great artist, a sculptor, and he drew. And that's a good thing to practice doing. I've done a lot of drawings um, and, and to really show drawing and do your own drawing to get a feel of balance, proportion, and shape when you right. work. I think that's something in my dad, on one of his films, if you look up Pathé News films, you'll see him doing a drawing of a hairstyle, then he does it, you know? Mm-hmm. And he used to do that all the time for consultation, which was brilliant. I said, why do you yeah. do that? Dad? You know, when he was like, he said, oh, because I can always change it and they count the back just in case it doesn't get right. <laughs> you know, you always change the drawing. So it wasn't quite like what we discussed. But, you know, he was a master of, um, you know, selling hairdressers. Um, and that's why he did 47 films, uh, newsreels, because in England in the 50s, very few people had TV sets. Right. Like, well, with my house here and my house in Palm Springs where I did my seminars and stuff, I think you have about 15 television sets altogether. It's crazy. In those days, but in those days, on Friday night, when you went out, um, there were 3,000 people in the cinema. And you had a newsreel film, you had a B film and an A film. So in the newsreel film, I remember the day my dad passed away, I was in Ealing Studios doing a German television commercial for Washing Up Liquid uh, with Tom Busson, his director's name was, he was wonderful. And um, at 11 o'clock, I just felt, oh, something's not good. And my dad died exactly at 11 o'clock in Dawson. And I walked, and Tom was great. The director said, Nick, it's a ponytail. Um, my assistant will take you home. He'll drive you home. And whatever you want to do, you know. Um, you know so take you down to the pub and have a couple of drinks before you go. It's an awful day for you. And I walked around Ealing Studios, and I, and I went, and I saw this Movie Tone News archives. I thought, ooh. So I went in, and I asked, was there anything you have on Freddie French? And um, they actually found... 47 films of him working, which was promoting his sound on, on the actual cinema films. So it was amazing. And um, so that was for a reason, I think, so it's a great inspiration to me. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I look at those films and I see things. Uh, the other week, I saw him doing this hairstyle and he had this, he, he pinned it all up and then he got this uh, needle and he put some leather in the needle and then he sewed it all together. Then he took the pins out. And that was 1953. That's cool. And there's another one where he, it talks about, oh, there's, and she's testing her waves. And this girl goes and jumps into a swimming pool. And, um, and she has this, and he says, it's a, 
long, she had long hair, it was permed with small rods, and then Freddie French, you know, cut it short, and she dives into the pool, and she's whizzing around, and she comes out, dries it with a towel, and uh, she combs it, and it's almost looking like a wedge haircut, and that was 1952, wash and wear hair. So people- yeah, I, I, saw, I saw that, I saw that pathé before. Famous one, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Locked to his salons, um, wanting this new way of doing hair, um, which was fascinating, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, it, it's worth doing a whole history. You know, I have book, press books downstairs, I've got tons and tons of stuff um, and films of what Freddie did. And you can learn so much from these great masters, like right. the Alexander of Paris, the Carita sisters, who were an amazing French couple after the Second World War, who really changed uh, luxurious hair salons, you know. Um, and of course, you know, Vidal used to do hair like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it took nine years to really break through to geometric haircuts. Um, before him, uh, Raymond, there was a hairdresser called Raymond, who actually mm -hmm. did cut geometric haircuts, little shears. Mm -hmm. and he actually did that first. And then Vidal was so inspired by that that he really took it to a different level. And he had the late, great Roger Thompson, who yeah. was uh, yes. probably be the greatest haircutter I've ever seen live. And what was really annoying, he was ambidextrous as well. So he, could, <laughs> he, didn't, have, he didn't have the strong side, he didn't have the weak side that like most of us had. He had both sides were exactly the same. And he was just a, a wonderful haircutter. And he really, really did most of the haircuts in those days in the salons, you know, the five point haircuts and- um, right. You know, so Sim was really more of the flamboyant sort of energy, the PR of the whole business, really. And then, of course, you had Christopher Brooker, who was a sort of, really this sort of, you know, Jackson Pollock hairdressing, who was sort of very out there. You know, I mean, he did a punk hairstyle eight years before punk was even thought. Right, exactly, yeah. He's he, was like, he, was, too. he was a wonderful man. He's, in fact... He's still around, you know, he lives mainly in France. He has properties in England and stuff there. He was um, absolutely wonderful, I thought. He was very inspirational yeah. and still is to me. It's a different kind of, you know, quality to those guys, you know, really. And, yeah. um, and you know, what they bring to the business, even like Christopher's coming to New York, I know, in November at Indicoiffure, I think, um, which would be great. Uh, that would be amazing. But his, his quality of what he did and the way he approached hair was quite amazing. And, um, you know, and, and Vinal's energy, I think, was very indicative to, you know, where we sit now. And also the main thing was that like my dad, uh, Freddie French, French of London, it's called, um, he really tried to get hairdressers respected by the public. You know, like Vivian McKinder's famous statement, I'm not just a hairdresser. And he got, hairdressers on television. He was on television all the time in England. He did all the fashion shows. First British man to ever go to Paris to do a French runway show. Oh, wow. And of course, there were people who hated him. You know, this is before the war. Mm -hmm. And um, unbelievable how he strove to, you know, make hairdressers have a lot of respect as professionals, you know, as, you know, online with, uh, you know, fashion designers, you know. Um, as a last story, because I know we've got to wrap it up, 
uh, in a nutshell, what Sassoon did, what my dad did, what the Raymonds did, and so many other people who are fabulous hairdressers in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 50s and even before the war. Um, what they strove for, I really, it all came to fruition. I was in Singapore doing a hair show and after the show, which was fantastic, they interview you. So you sit down and you have the PR for the company I was working for at the time. Um, and then you have the interpreter, you have all that going on. You've been up since three o'clock in the morning doing all these models and everything else. This is like eight o'clock at night. And uh, they're all very nice. I saw eight people in the night person came. And um, she said, why, why does somebody of your age come here, teach our young people how to do hair? Which is a pretty nasty question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I said, um, oh, thank you for your question. That's a wonderful question because that's really, you know, what I was taught to say. <laughs> and by some stroke of luck, I looked out the window of this beautiful hotel in Singapore and had this massive great uh, advertising awning where you saw uh, a topless boy and a girl in Calvin Klein underwear. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, can I ask you a question, you know? And they said, yes, of course. And it, it's all translated, so it's all people are talking Mandarin and all that kind of stuff, you know. So it takes a bit of time, you know. And I said, can I ask you a question? What is the difference between a couturier designer, who I love, because I always have my own collections of clothes, Green mm -hmm. Valentina and everything, when I do my shows, um, and, and a professional hairdresser? What's the difference? So she went very quiet. And she says, oh, I don't know. I said, okay, I'll tell you what the difference is. The professional designers who are incredibly creative people, um, they can choose a fabric, they can color it, they can cut it, they can style it. They can do anything they want because it's a piece of fabric. And they put it onto a beautiful woman and it looks fantastic. You know, I love designers. And I said, you know, um, what do hairdressers do? And she said, oh, you know, someone your age, you know, what are we going to learn from you? And I said, okay, let's go back to what I just said. How old is Valentina? I don't know, he's 82. How old is Karl Lagerfeld with a white ponytail? I mean, it must have been 101, bless him. <laughs> How old is Calvin Klein? He was 64 at the time. How old is, like, I went on and on and on. Amani, he's eight in his 80s. Do you think young people have ever been influenced by them at any time in their lives? So then it got on a bit of a roll. So I said, now, What's the difference between the couturier and the hairdresser? I don't know, I'll tell you. The couturier, I just told you what he did, cuts the fabric, colors it, puts on beautiful women. Professional hairdresser has a live human being sitting in a chair in front of them. And they actually physically and chemically sometimes change the whole, their whole being because it's the texture of the hair can change and that's part of their body. That's part of their, yeah. you know, the whole genre we're changing people physically. We're not just putting a piece of fabric on whatever. And I yeah. said, dying for a glass of champagne. I'm going to go to that beautiful place and have a glass of champagne. So nice to meet you. Anyway, <laughs> long story short. The next I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that, yeah. just so yeah. you know. I know. I think I may be borrowing that for my next class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The next morning, um, I was meant to be flying back that day. And there's a guy called Nicholas Kraft, who's a wonderful man who was in charge of that company for the whole of Asia. He was German, you know? 
And four o'clock in the morning, there's this banging on the banging, banging, banging on my door. I said, look, Christopher, I'm getting on a plane. No, you've got to come downstairs. The models are ready, you know? And so, you know, you've got to be quick. Like, oh, what's going on? Perhaps I've missed the day or something, you know? And um, so I ran down, he had these models, and he said, we're going to go to the television, and we're going to be on Asia Today with your models. You can do hair, you can talk about the products, anything you want to do, for 20 minutes, okay? And it's going to go to 9 million people around the world. Oh, wow. So by saying what I said, that woman went away, the nasty one about, why at your age, why are you teaching our kids and all that? Uh, she'd gone back. She was so impressed. She said, you've got to get him on TV tomorrow morning, early. And so we did that. And they still used that film uh, for many years at L'Oreal of how to get publicity, you know, and use the name of the product on television. Because what mm -hmm. I said was, you, you need to put this product in, which I couldn't mention technically, because you need more of a boom in their hair. And the product was called the boom. It brought to nine million people what we do with shows and education. It showed nine million people on Asia Today that we're here for a reason as hairdressers. Yeah. We're not just hairdressers. Exactly. We're just, you know, we're part of society, part of the community. And that's so important to understand, especially today, in this mm -hmm. environment that's been forced onto us, which is rather bizarre. Because I think coming through, I hope that coming through this, you know, everybody's going to be nicer people, you know, more respected people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's rather like, uh, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, Wayne Clayberg, he always says, be nice or else. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think more of that needs to be um, put into this world because, yeah. you know, and especially, I think experiences in hair salons are going to be, you know, really toned down. It's not going to be like busy, mass me. You know, it's going to be very, it's got to be much rather like it was in the old days where it'd be an experience which people would feel, you know, so lucky because when you miss things, you really want it to happen again. Right. But we need to make it happen in a different way, perhaps, you know? Yeah. Like such a hectic yeah. way. Because, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll have, you know, everything's got to be sterilized, perhaps the gowns, even everything's going to be. And everything's got to be like a nice distance experience. So, you know, and I think that will draw us closer to the clients, you know, rather like in the old days, you did a client five times a week. Right. Yeah. Stuff in the 1950s. And then with a the haircutting revolution, what happened with, oh, goodbye, see you in two months, which mm -hmm. really was, a, you lost the relationship with the client due to right. that fact. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's, you know, basically that's what I feel. And, you know, if it's, and if it's in your heart, it'll be in your hands. And you've just got to be really, think about the clients, think about the future of our industry and not so much on quick fame, you know, and all those kind of things, you know, and false news and all that kind of things. You know, you've got to really develop your techniques so you have a, a vast library of techniques you can pass down to the hairdressers that are coming behind us and then behind us again. You know, I mean, you know, social media is fantastic. I love it. But then we've got to be really respective of what we do on those to, to represent the hairdresser. What we do has to be something absolutely special. Yeah, not just yeah. to, not just about me. It's about you, the client.
Yeah. It's really, you know, I think we've forgotten a lot about who's sitting in that chair. I had three salons, 65 staff over the period of years. So I do understand these things. I'm not one of these people, you know, who's just been jumped onto hair shows. You know, and I think that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, I would like to ask, um, uh, so I know that, that we're, you're actually lucky in a really good spot right now. And I feel like we're in a really good spot when it comes to this quarantine and all that kind of stuff. And I, yeah. I feel like you are in a spot now to where um, I know you a little bit and I know that you are starting your own um, independent you know, education, which I think is probably the best time to go see you now where you're not trying to hawk you know, a specific hair care company's line at the moment. You're, yeah. you're really just giving out the best education you can without any approval from a manufacturer or marketing uh, uh, division. If yeah. somebody, when all of this quarantine is over, Nick, how can people get a hold of you and, and what sort of classes can they take from you and, and where would they go to see you? Well, we, what we've been doing this last two years or so, um, mm-hmm. we have two uh, facilities. Uh, the one we're in now, uh, um, is in Westhampton, New York, which is about 90 miles from New York, and it's easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do events here. I have a studio downstairs where we do events here for small groups, um, which is really great. Um, that's mainly held in the sort of springtime. And then we have Skyfall, which is a wonderful, beautiful place, if you look it up, um, in Palm Springs, California. Okay. Where we've had a lot of events. We did big training events last year with some spectacular companies and they loved it. Big photo shoots because it's very sort of um, 50s, 60s vibe to it. Um, and that's really a destination uh, location there. So if you just keep up with, if you get to contact nicholasfrench.com or nicholasfrench.com, uh, you'll get to me and we do get back to people. Uh, we do one-on-ones, which is, you know, I've never done one last week, but we have to postpone it for a few months, I think. Uh, until this is all dies down a bit and I do a lot of one-on-ones and everything else and it, it, you know we can do things like that quite if, if you're going for Naha we can do that kind of thing just for a Naha experience if you will um, to get you geared up because obviously um, I was the judge at Naha for many years and also you know I won it four times got to 12 finals or something so mm-hmm. um, I have a lot of experience in that area and we basically do, we have guest people sometimes as well. So I'm really cutting, styling, you know, photographic work, editorial, editorial styling, classical style, all those different sort of things. Um, and I do a historical thing as well. So there's a huge amount of techniques that you can take home from all these events. And then I've got some guests I probably will bring in. Um, you know, I've worked with some fabulous people in the past, like Vivian McKinder, mm-hmm. uh, Damien Carney. Uh, came and worked with me uh, at, at my locations and the late great Martin Parsons, I think it was his last year, he was a wonderful man, he came out to out there as well. So it's like we both worked together on some things, so it was an amazing amount of information um, and we're going to have photographers like Damien get involved more, um, very inspirational, great teacher he is as well. And we've got mm-hmm. some new people, we've got a new lineup we're going to put together, we were putting it together, yeah. We still are once we're over this hill, um, which I think makes it rather unique. And as you just said, to your point, it's not about, yeah, we show product usage, we show how to use products in unique ways. Uh, at the same time, we're not 
anything to do with the product company. We're all about you personally and how we can take you to the next level right. and whatever level you're at, you're at, you know, and I think that's the most important thing to, and I always recognize people where they're sitting and where they want to go to. And it's very personal. It's not just mm. all of us are going to do this. Oh, I really want to concentrate on this, Nick, you know, okay, let's concentrate on that in the next two days, three days. And that's what we do. So it's very personalized as well. So everybody goes away with what they really need and they feel more empowered. Um, and they feel more confident to go into, might be a studio, might go back to the salon, might be to train people, you know? Um, and I think, you know, the train the trainer is very important because mm -hmm. yeah. I've watched people years ago, I went to Vidal Sassoon's and Stephen Moody, I took a group from Matrix and Stephen Moody was there. So what are you here for? I said, well, I'm just going to soak everything up. And at the end of it, he said, what do you learn out of this, Nick? I said, you know what? Watching you, how to teach, my goodness. How to put haircuts. He had all these haircuts, and some people really messed them up. He just calmly came in there and just made it look absolutely beautiful and so simple. I said, that's, you just need to adjust. There's nothing wrong with the haircut. Some of them are a bit weird. <laughs> you know, and it was brilliant. So I learned a lot. I can learn something from anybody. Right. I want to come out. Uh, yeah. That's my yeah. goal for, for this year, next that year. That sounds is like a really awesome idea. Really Once you get out of this, you'll be welcome. You really will be because it's, yeah. you know, it, it's a very open sort of situation. It's how, how I would like to be taught, you know? Yeah. I, mm -hmm. Like people saying, oh, this is the only way you do this. This is the only way you do that. Because you have to recognize, you know, how people are inside and out and their sort of temperament, what they're best at doing and you know, and if they're going through something that makes them feel uncomfortable, and I go through that, uh, then I know I'm learning something new. Right. You know? It's not like, oh, I, oh, no, 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 I don't want to see what you can do beautifully. I want to see what you can't do so I can take you to a different place that yeah. you might enjoy because people tend to stick to what they know best, don't they? Yeah. And I think yeah. I find it very interesting, you know. Um, and I, I think that's fascinating. When I went to Sassoon's ages ago, um, and this guy said, right, teach me something I don't know what to do. And she took this insane haircut, which is all in zigzags and goodness knows what, to the top and collapsed sides. And I got a colorist to do it, uh, Swan White. And I did it at a hair show, next hair show. Absolutely stunning haircut. It took me six hours to learn it, you know. And there are real people I was doing it on. And uh, they said to me, Matrix, um, that's not the trend, Nick. That's not the trend. It's beautiful. It's not the trend. I said, it's my version, darling. Because I was dying, <laughs> I was dying to do that. Remember that I could do it again. But it was so clever. It was just short hair supporting longer hair. You know, and that's why razor cut started in the 60s, because it was shorter hair supporting longer hair, but it wasn't a razor cut. It was brilliant, you know? Yeah. And it, you've got to, every day in our industry, you learn something new, touch you. Sometimes it's not what you should ever do again. Sometimes. And sometimes, wow, that was, I discovered something new about, gosh, you know, that's, that's exciting. Because clients want to feel you're really on trend, on, you know, they want to really feel that. They want to feel you're fresh, you know, in the moment. And I think that's important so you can change them, you know, um, and do different exciting things. And it's suitability, isn't it? It's all about yeah. having that yeah. clean eye to recognize what you can do with people with their face shapes, their body shapes, and everything else. It's not just the head of the hair. So that's a good question. Nice. Anyway, I hope to see everybody and everybody after this, and we'll rock and roll and have a wonderful time and a celebration 
of life because you know this is yeah. something that nobody's ever seen before you know um my dad actually left the industry in the second world war for seven years he was in the royal air force um and he rented it out to a conscientious objector his salon but my mother buried in the basement locked up all the dry shampoo um, powdered shampoos light bulbs towels all the things she thought in 1945 uh, when they came back after the war, um, they wouldn't have. And she was right. Nobody had anything except for my dad's little salon. And he started again. You know, oh, three wow. clients a day. He had three wow. clients a day. That's all he had when he came back. He was away for almost seven years. And, um, and he, he grew the whole thing into this, you know, this group of salons. It was amazing. That's so amazing. there you are. So let's not be positive and think about, you know, very difficult at this time because people you know it's very tragic for a lot of families um, yeah. a lot of people but we have to think we've got to come together and be nice to each other and we've got to build build up and we're in the front line when we come back because in the salons you know it's it's a matter of making people feel great again it's going to take time you know mm-hmm. people have, people have got scars you know they've got scars mental scars from this you know right. um, you know, we've been here for weeks in this house and we haven't seen anybody really. Um, yeah. And it, I can imagine, you know, people are in a worse off situation where it's terrifying to go out to an apartment block. You know, my sister in law in Barcelona, um, the people have got, you know, coronavirus upstairs and, and uh, they're terrified of going out, but they seem to be getting over the worst of it, but it's still frightening. So, you know, yeah. it's where we just have to get everybody's spirits out and, and and re- it's a good opportunity to revitalize this industry, you know, I think. Right. And get yeah, every- yeah. I was going to say, that's get- Ryan always Everybody's got to be real, no? Yeah. I think it's a great time. Well, one last question. We just got to find yeah. out music, right? Yeah. We got to find out, like, what is... So if you were stuck somewhere, well, in home, what is the five... Your five favorite bands? Oh, God. Carol, help me out here. Five favorite bands. <laughs> <laughs> As my wife's over there looking at me, me a face. Five favorite bands. Well, I had to say Pink Floyd. Okay. Okay. Because I was in, if you look at the final cut, uh, 1984, I think it's called The Final Cut. There's actually a video. They used to do pop videos. Um, and I'm in it. I'm the sailor from the Falkland Islands. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah, you'll see this guy. If anything, you can read somebody said, I recognize your hands, Nick. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I did the hair for it, but then they needed a sailor for the Falkland Islands event. So <laughs> I was a sailor. So you'll see the sailor, <laughs> me. And awesome. um, uh, what can I say? Carol's got a list here. Hmm. Yeah, Queen, I love Queen. I never did their book. Okay. Um, Simple Minds, because I did their, I cut all their hair off. They all had long hair. Mm-hmm. And I went around to their house where they were recording. And the wives, I did the wives' hair in my salons. And they said, oh, Nick, can you cut their hair? I, was, I hate it. They look like, they look like an old tie. They had long, old rock bandy hair. This is in the 80s. And I cut all their hair short, all of it. And they were furious for a week. And then they were happy after that. I love the simple <laughs> I was going to say. Everybody said that was really cool, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Who else is the cow I've got to think of? I like dramatic. I like dramatic music for shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what did we use before? Was it, uh, Carol? 
the one we used before, dramatic music for shows. No, that was old, you know, the new ones. I have to think really, you know. I did, I did the village people's hair once for a, a oh, Very cool. Hysterical, you know? And then the, the guy comes up to I did a quick story where Carol's writing some stuff to her. And the girl said, Nick, uh, the Indian, uh, we're thinking he should have some like dreadlocks instead of this like whole red Indian look. And I said, how many, how many CDs, it's CDs in there, it says, how many CDs have you sold? He said, oh, 75 million. So I said, do you think it's a good idea to change the image of these people? <laughs> and uh, I took him around to, um, I'm trying to remember his name, the guy who did the dreadlocks in London, I can see him now. And, um, and anyway, it was such a process that they said, no, I don't want to do it. I said, thank goodness for that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Sting, I really like Sting's stuff. I like his, I like his old stuff, Sting's oh. old stuff. And, um, and of course, I, could, I love all the old, the old songs I love really, you know, R&B and things. And, and of course, the Beatles and stuff like that, you know. I love all those old, you know, generic things because that's sort of the eras I went through, you know. In fact, somebody wanted to do a retrospective um, and I thought, ooh, I could do, because I have photographs from the studios that I've done from about 1968 onwards. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to do all the different periods and all the different music, you know, as it goes, you know, as the video goes along, you know, make a really and, cool really, video. and the clothing and everything else, you know, uh, you know, like, I mean, I, I stood in a salon with, with a fringe, long hair, braces, powder blue, <laughs> bell-bottom trousers, blue shoes, platforms, and little brown John Lennon glasses, you know, in the sort of 1971. So, you know, I've been through all those periods. So it's all about the different periods, you know, yeah. and it's uh, you know, basically. So well, that's... I gotta say, I gotta say, Nick, I'm so glad you spent this time with us. And I feel so incredibly honored that you did that, that you Thank showed you. us. I mean, like I said, I, I feel like I got a, a personal class and we're gonna share this with people. And I'm, I'm very thankful that you're on here. And I'd love to have you on here again. Um, you're definitely, you're definitely a, a legend in our industry. Yes, I want to thank you too so much for being on here. It was amazing and it was great to watch. I wasn't expecting to get a class. Thank you so much again for listening.